we're going to go ahead and jump into this topic of the journey to Jerusalem. And I enjoyed this topic because for me, this idea of a journey is so easy to really kind of just grasp a hold of. We, some of y'all know, we were in the process of planning our spring break trip and that got canceled this morning before I got here. But part of that journey not only is understanding the dates, but what's the very first thing that you have to know when you're planning a trip? Thank you. That was so easy. Yes, you have to know where you're going. And so uh, that's where we're going to start with, uh, with our first point. But before we get to that first point, there's one thing I want to make sure I tell you, and that is we are going to look at a lot, a lot of Scripture. That is not typically, I know a lot of times we want to dive deep into Scripture, dig into a long passage. And um, this morning, and it's the nature of our study this semester, you've probably seen that in most of the lessons, is we're looking at a lot of Scripture. And so we're going to do the same today. And I want to remind you that you will get the slides if If it's not this afternoon, it'll be tomorrow. And so don't feel like you have to frantically write everything down um, because you will get those slides with the scripture references and it'll have the highlights on it and everything else. Um, But one reason why I want us to consider this journey of Jesus um, to Jerusalem is because the journey of Jesus, as I look through this, represents our journey as well. Of course, our journey is not to the cross. But we have a journey that we're walking along as believers in Christ. And um, through that, I also want us to consider um, what that means. If we're journeying with Christ, we're learning, we're loving, and we're becoming more like him. That is called discipleship. Um, And we want to do that so that we're set apart, so that we're available for God's purpose. And that's the process known as sanctification. And so this journey that we're on is this journey of discipleship and sanctification as we follow along um, with Christ. Um, And so there is a five-part, kind of five steps, five parts of Christ's journey that I want us to look at today. Um, And as you already said, the very first thing we have to know is where we're going. We have to know the destination. Um, And so we know that Christ was intentionally moving throughout his life towards this end um, that he knew from the beginning of time. Um, And he knew from the beginning of time at creation that he would be moving towards the cross. Um, Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so this verse specifically speaks definitely to the Jewish listeners, but it speaks to us as well. After our studies through the Old Testament last semester, I think we can look at this and see how um, God had set up the various covenants over time. And he never, Jesus does not say, I came to throw those away, but he says, I come, I come today to fulfill the covenants so that you are in a right relationship with God. And Mark, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, Jesus knew his destination. He knew where he was going, and he knew it would be the cross. And so his life, as recorded in Scripture, is intentional in every movement. It's intentional in every relationship. Um, And it's intentional in every conversation to pursue this purpose. And my question for you is, what is your destination? What is your purpose? And this is both a spiritual question, but it's also a very real question about your work and your life here on earth. Uh, What are you made for spiritually? And um, I'll answer that on behalf of each one of us. 
is that we are created and intended to know God, to glorify him, and to make him known. And so if we are all meant to that end, there's also a very specific purpose that each of us have as well. And so that is to understand what you um, are made for, are gifted to encourage, and to be part of this church that we are, that we are members of. Um, and these things are our destination, this end, the future um, that we know Christ is calling us into. But also, I want us to think about how he has created us to be as part of our destination as well, and that we are growing into that and moving towards that with our lives. Um, in 1 Corinthians, this is such a familiar verse, or verses. Now, there are varieties of, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so I want you to hear here is that this idea of journeying with and to something, it's not, um, it's not, it is about others as well. It's to our, again, our end goal um, with Christ and with God in eternity, but it's also about others and this common good. And for you to know um, that you have been gifted specifically, it's very easy um, for us to look around this room and think of others, and we can name others' giftedness very easily. Um, it's much harder to name those in ourselves. Um, many of you have been through the shape class, um, and sometimes we think about that, and we do it, and we put it in its box. Um, I can put myself in that same category, y'all, because it's very easy for me to not really think about or understand what it is that God has gifted me to do, um, both as just a member of this church, as a daughter, as a sister, as a mom. Um, and it will look different for each of us. This past weekend, Sue and Sue were on a panel that talked about um, what, is it, what do we do when life changes? And I think it's good for us to even understand that this purpose and this trajectory that we're on, it might look different at different points in our life. And so it's a good evaluation and just thing to keep in mind is, are we moving towards the destination that God has for us? Um, and it's not over-spiritualizing our journey um, or where we're headed to, but it actually helps ground us and to give our steps purpose. And that's what I want you to have through this first idea of knowing our destination is understanding the purpose that we move with and the purpose for um, where we're going. And so our first um, part of understanding Christ's journey to Jerusalem is that Christ knew his destination, and so should we. And the second thing that I want us to know about Christ's journey is that he understood the cost. And Jesus knew whether it was from, I was, I was just thinking about this, did he know from birth? I mean, we knew he knew from the beginning of time, but as a human being, did he know from birth? Did he know from childhood? Did he know as a young adult? Or when his earthly ministry began that he would, um, that he would die and that it would be an awful death, a painful death, a very public death. Um, but he also knew it would be the one thing that would restore our personal relationship with God, that, that relationship that we saw in the Garden of Eden in Jerusalem. And so every single thing that Christ did was to intentionally move towards that end goal. And it was his purpose for living on this earth. And so if this is how Christ lived, understanding the cost, understanding that he was moving towards the cross, again, we have to too. In Luke 19.10, we read that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And clearly, from our Old Testament studies, we, um, I hope you do, have a new appreciation 
for our inability to maintain a priority and um, a focus on obedience to God. I have a new, um, I have a, a new, um, under, understanding is the only way I can phrase that um, because it's easy to think of just Old Testament. And when we really understand um, the, the many opportunities that God gave them to um, just to love him well, and it was just, and we look, when we think back to the Old Testament, we understand it's personal pride, ambition, all the things that cause us to look away, it becomes much more um, understandable and um, ownable in our own lives. Um, but God repeatedly renewed his commitment to his people, and he did give us his most costly um, method for reconciliation, but at the same time, it's the most simple method of reconciliation for us, and that is... Um, faith alone in the atonement of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus's death to cover our disobedience and make us right with God. And so at its most simple and most profound, you'll see it highlighted, is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I'm going to grab my water real quick, y'all. Um, but I'll read that verse while I'm grabbing water, if you will, and we'll cover it. Um, it took everything in me. I wanted to read the entire passage of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, but I thought that would take quite a bit of our time today, and we might want to talk about some other things. Um, but it's because it's, um, it's a foreshadowing of Christ, um, but it's also a really shattering description of what Christ experienced on earth at the same time. And so I wanted us to look at these two verses, that Jesus was wounded or he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins, He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on his own path. But the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. And so there are a few things I want us to see in these verses. That he was wounded, crushed. He endured punishment. He was wounded and attacked. And it was because of what? Again, it was because of our rebellious deeds our sins, um, we wandered, we strayed, and it was our sin. But in the middle of this discussion of Christ's sufferings and, and its explanation that it was because of us, there's this beautiful, um, and what we, well, what we call, what we consider a beautiful reminder of how undeserved it is. Um, but I also want it, well, I want it to be a reminder of how undeserved it is. And it's that we will be made well and we will be healed because of Christ's journey to the cross. Um, in the midst of destruction and Christ's death, there is such great hope, um, despite, despite our, our deeds, as it's labeled in this, in this verse. And so Jesus knew the cost. He knew there would be rejection. He knew there would be ridicule. He knew there would be death. And so you can, you can guess that my question for you is, what is the cost for you? Some of us in this room have very personal experience about what the cost of following Christ is. Um, Many of us don't. Um, I can't say that I know that intimacy of suffering for the sake of Christ. Um, But we do need to consider the cost. I mean, we need to consider it now. And we need to consider it. I appreciated in our leaders meeting that Lou said, we don't always know what to expect and would we follow if we knew what to expect. And so, and that's true. And so even though it's hard for us to imagine now what that cost might be, we need to 
keep that in mind, especially as we come into those times of life where we may be asked to suffer, and we can remember and we, we can recall these verses. But Jesus in Mark 8 says he, that Jesus called the crowd along with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There were a couple of questions on this in your in your lesson this week. Um, And in the ancient world, carrying your cross meant that you that cross beam that you would carry that through the crowds. And you can imagine, and we have it recorded in scripture that Jesus did this, and Joseph um, followed along behind him to to carry um, to carry the cross as well um, on his behalf. But that they're carrying it through. Um, people who are taunting and mocking them, cheering for death. And in the same way, we are asked um, to, to move into that same situation. Um, it, many of us, and you may be surprised that the stage is a hard place for me, but we don't want to stand in front of our friends and share, you know. And God is asking us to carry in front of our enemies the name of Jesus and to be mocked and ridiculed, potentially and scorned as well. And so we need to know that the emotional and physical toil and toll of taking up our cross is significant. It's very significant. Um, and so we must be willing to deny or want to. I have a friend in Dallas years ago. Her daughter was, I think she was six at the time. And she called um, when she didn't want to do something. She just said, my want to doesn't want to do it, you know? And so even in our want to... We, we need to be willing to endure, to enter into that place um, if we're going to follow Jesus. There are so many other passages that talk about um, the burden and the cost of following Jesus. Um, and some of these passages are very hard to hear um, and hard to understand. Um, one of those um, is, is even this one, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and because of the gospel will save it. For what benefit is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit his life? What can a person give in exchange for his life? For if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so Jesus turns everything upside down, does he not? Um, Even in the language, it requires us to slow down. It requires me to slow down because um, it's not human nature. And so I have to think so intently and so intensely about it. But we need to hear this word that we have the natural inclination to protect and save ourselves from harm, from the bad opinions of others, to protect our prosperity, whatever it might be. And yet that's not the way of God. And in fact, it can be considered disobedience in some situations. And it's the same thing, that disobedience is what wrecked, and I use that term intentionally, it's what wrecked the men and women of the Old Testament. And so instead, if we give our lives to God, knowing and following Jesus Christ, um, we will actually protect our life for all of eternity. Y'all, I told you there's a lot of scripture passages, but I mentioned it in our leaders meeting today that most often scripture doesn't require a lot of commentary. And so I want you to hear the word of God. And when he talks about the cost in Luke, he says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. This may be one of the one that's hardest for me to hear. You know, to, um, he, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so um, the illustration that Jesus uses here is that of a farmer. Um, and if a farmer is plowing but turns his head back, he's not watching where he's going, is he? And so that needs to be our caution, that needs to be our admonition in this space, is that um, 
regardless of whether you have experienced true separation from your family because of your faith, that we need to keep our eyes forward um, and single-minded in our approach to following Jesus, um, that we are resolute, that we're not looking um, behind us at our past. Some of us need to hear this as, do not look behind you at your past, because we are looking ahead to our future and our hope. I mean, Christ has redeemed us from that past. Some of us know that our past, because of our loves in the past, is where we need to be looking forward because those loves are keeping us distracted from the things of Christ. And so on Christ's journey, again, we see that Christ knew the destination. He knew where he was going, the cross, but he also understood the cost of that journey. And so for Christ, that cost would be death. And again, what is the cost for you in your journey? to follow Christ. Our second, or our third, excuse me, um, this one's longer. I tried to keep them to three words, and I just couldn't get this one to three words. Um, But if we're going on a trip, most often, if you're like me, I want to know how long it's going to take to get there, where are the roadblocks, where's the heavy traffic, and I'm going to try and get around that as fast as I can. But, so examine the route and continue forward. But this is the thing. Many times, and I I am not, well, we'll we'll get into this. If we're journeying and we encounter a detour, what's the detour for? It's going to keep us on our path, correct? It's not taking us a different direction. It's not diverting us back to home. It's going to continue us forward, but it might just take us a little bit longer. And so I do not dare say that Jesus' path contained detours because I think we can agree that his path was exactly as it was meant to be. However, in our life, I want us to see what... um, And even with Jesus, that he examined the route. You'll see in this verse here um, that he appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He knew where he was going. He had examined the route, and he had sent pairs of people ahead of him to prepare the way and various purposes that we can read throughout um, the other Gospels as well. And so I want us to see here that Jesus knew where he was going, um, and he prepared. He appointed and sent out the the 32 pairs of people along the route um, into every town and place where he would go. But there's one phrase, and we'll get back to this idea, because as part of his journey, part of his route, he was headed towards Jerusalem, but he had all these other places that he stopped on the way. He had three years of his adult ministry, and on that route is where we read his parables and his miracles. And there's a lot that happened in those places that we'll talk about in in a little bit. So we're going to put that a little bit to the side. But this is what... um, I want us to know, um, especially as we read Mark um, 8.34, um, 8.30, 8.30. Y'all, I think the scripture reference might be wrong. Um, I'll get the right scripture reference when I get it to you. Um, Is that Jesus says, I am sending you out like lambs surrounded by wolves. And so it's also clear to me that Jesus knew the environment that his followers would encounter. Um, And he's preparing his people to not only, we already talked about counting the cost, but to stay on their path despite despite opposition to prepare the way for Jesus. um, Because um, as we can be assured, he is with us. And that's what we know about God as creator, as God as human, um, as God as our redeemer, is that he is behind us. He has established his authority. He has established his steadfastness and his trustworthiness. He is before us. He's gone before us. He's preparing our place um, in eternity, but he is also beside us, as we see in this, is that he's walking a path of human suffering with us. 
Um, and so we read about along this way uh, where he has sent his um, followers um, about those miracles. And I want us to understand the weightiness of what Jesus is sharing, his actions and words um, during this uh, journey to Jerusalem. Um, I don't know if you remember last November, George Murray was here and he spoke um, on this passage in Matthew. And something he said, um, excuse me, let me go back to that, um, sat really heavy with me. And I, and it's, and I still remember it. Um, and it, he talks about this route that Jesus followed. It says, Then Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. And I loved this phrase, teaching in their synagogues, because if you remember back to our very first lesson, and we talked about how during that intertestamental period, in the silence, God was setting up this new place of worship called synagogues throughout the dispersion, throughout the Jews that were scattered throughout the throughout uh, the region, and this would be places really that would become ripe and receptive. Well, I don't know about receptive. We can argue that point, Um, but Jesus would have a place to share um, when he was on his travels, and so we see that again here that Jesus was able to teach in the synagogues, preaching the good news, excuse me, um, of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest-ready fields. And so what George commented in his sermon that day was before Jesus did anything, he saw people. And so on his way to the cross, on his way to Jerusalem, he stopped in these cities and he saw people. And what did he do? He had compassion on them, which is why... Um, we really cannot understate the example that Jesus gives us um, as he travels, um, that he was sharing meals and he was sharing spaces with, with quote, sinners, um, people like us. But what I want us to also see is that in these conversations, Jesus is expanding the kingdom of God from Israel to the Gentiles. Um, We've seen in the Old Testament that God uses broken and sinful men. He uses barren women. He uses people with scandalous pasts, um, diseased. And so regardless of gender, ethnicity, or income level, he's offering mercy and he's welcoming, welcoming the world to salvation through him. And he begins to use the unexpected to carry out his plans, which becomes um, something that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, in Isaiah, we read a prophecy of a future time. It says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the Lord has spoken. And so what did God do? He prepares a feast, destroys the shroud, swallows up death, wipes away tears, and removes disgrace. But who does he do that for? He does it for all peoples, all nations, all faces, and all the earth. And so we don't always get to speak in absolutes. Um, I think I've learned that you never say all because it's never going to be all. Um, and yet here we have that Jesus and God is preparing this, um, this for all. 
Um, so he's not only fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, but he's reminding about us about the future that we can expect at the same time. And what an important thing that is, is not only is he fulfilling, but he's, he's telling us what we can, we can expect in the future. And so Jesus continued um, his ministry on his way to the cross. He knew his route. He had prepared. He had a specific order to his work, to his teaching, to his preaching, to his healing, seeing people and having compassion. And so do you know what to expect along your route, along our journey, serving others, and also maintaining direction at the same time for, the, um, for, the, for our, our destination and for the work that God has called us to do? Allison taught us last week um, through her lecture and through the lesson as well um, that a disciple is someone who knows or follows a specific teacher. And so as Christians, we know that that means that we're followers of Jesus. Um, and so anyone who professes Christ as Savior can be called a disciple of Christ. Um, but to maintain direction, to stay true to the way, are you becoming more like Christ? That's what this journey is about, is to become more like Christ. Are you maturing and growing in your faith? Um, we talked about the very beginning, but this process of sanctification is what is also part of discipleship. I always hate to use sanctification and discipleship sometimes because those are words that I start having mind blocks to, if you're like me. And then I thought, oh, those are big, big, complicated words, and they're not. They're not complicated. It's sanctification. You are, you are set apart to do the work of God. In sanctification, you're becoming more like Christ as well. It's, most, it's very simple. But the simplicity of a growing faith, um, y'all, it's simple. We make it so hard. Um, in Luke, we read this this week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I used the example before. I know some of you um, have become, have started to learn to love to bake sourdough bread. Some of us this past week became addicted to learning how to embroider because of Mary Miner's session. Um, and there are other things that each of us do, whether it's building or other handwork that you do or um, anything, any just ha habit or hobby that you have. It could be sports. But you know that when we enter, we have the expectation it could be pickleball next week, let's be honest, um, that we enter as a beginner, that we don't know what we're doing, we're learning. And so we have that idea that, um, and we know in Scripture that we have our baby Christians, but also sanctification and discipleship has those levels that it never becomes easy, y'all. It never becomes easy because the more you know, the harder it gets, doesn't it? We know this in our own habits and our own hobbies, that the more you know, the harder it gets because we know how much we need Jesus more than anything else. Um, and so when I think about the simplicity of a growing faith, there's a lot of things that we put underneath this so we can mark these off. I, I read these in Luke. Um, he tells us, do not be afraid to pray, to serve, to give, to continue to learn. All of these can even follow up under this verse, Luke 10, 27. Um, and I don't want, those are, those are markers of a Christian. Um, but I want us to remember this, the simplicity of uh, becoming more like Christ. Um, and so again, as Christ was on his journey, y'all were moving through his journey. Um, he knew the destination. He understood the cost but he continued the work throughout, um, throughout, that, throughout that journey. Um, this fourth part to, to Christ's journey was that he overcame obstacles. Um, what's the difference between a detour and an obstacle? A detour keeps us on our way. An obstacle really has the intention of stopping us or redirecting us. 
Um, this, many of you are familiar with the textbook that we use to ground our study this semester. Um, these four obstacles come directly from that study. I could not, there was no need for me to try to rewrite um, these because they're, they're, they're correct, and I'm, I'm not going to take credit for them. Um, but the very first obstacle that Jesus faced along his journey was um, Satan and the demonic. We saw that, the temptation in the wilderness. And we've spent quite a bit of time talking through that over the last several weeks. So I've put these references up here so that you can have them. Um, but we need to know that and remember that, that in the same way, again, that um, Satan faced this obstacle, so we will too. But also, Jesus faced the obstacle of his family. Um, it's not something that we expect to read, um, but his family are recorded as saying in Mark, and this was at the beginning of his ministry, that they tried to restrain him and said, he is out of his mind. And there's part of me that is like dumbfounded. You, you have watched this man, you saw Mary and the birth and all, everything that, that his life represented, and yet there's still, there's still the human fear, isn't there? There's still the, the human doubt, and his family was representative of that. And yet we need to also keep in mind that many of his family also became followers later in life at the same time. But they were an obstacle at one point in his life to his ministry. But the disciples also were obstacles to Jesus' ministry. Um, his friends, his friends were an obstacle. Um, we're very familiar with this verse um, when uh, Jesus began to teach about his suffering and um, Peter took him aside. It says, Peter rebuked Jesus. And this, this verse made me stop um, in verse 33. But after turning and looking at his disciples, what a look that must have been by Jesus. Um, after turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. And so for us to remember Jesus, his friends were also an obstacle on his journey to the cross. They did not want to see their Messiah die. That was not what they had in that, That's not what they had in mind. That's not what they thought it would look like. We can see that also um, in uh, the, the disciples arguing over who was the greatest. Um, Judas's kiss could, have been, could be perceived as an obstacle. Peter's denials could be perceived as an obstacle. But this is the thing. For Jesus, they were not obstacles. They did not stop him from his destination. He continued forward, um, unswayed. Um, and so um, he used these as moments to teach. And they're opportunities for us in our own life as well. As we encounter obstacles to, to what God has called us to do, to maintain direction, to maintain focus, um, and hopefully reveal Christ in a new way. Um, and so the fourth obstacle that Jesus faced in his journey were the religious leaders. And we know these as the Pharisees, Sadducees, and even the Essenes. I, this is a long passage. Um, I'm going to read it because I think it's too... Um, we're going we're gonna to identify with some of this. Jesus clashes with the religious leaders because his view of the kingdom of God differs radically from theirs. In short, Jesus believes that God desires to reign over all creation including the human heart. God wants to transform the whole person so that the entire community of God's people reflects his character. In contrast, the religious leader's strategy is to create an extensive web of rules to protect against the surrounding pagan culture, a self-centered strategy that ultimately fails to change the human heart and fulfill God's purposes. Isn't that what we want? A change in human heart that fulfills God's purposes. 
And so Jesus knew he would face these four obstacles. Satan, family, friends, and leaders. And so are you prepared for obstacles? They may be the same. They may be different. I do have a confidence and an encouragement um, from Isaiah. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. And in a similar way to the devotional, when we talk about God calling the name, um, you know, finding the one lost sheep, calling our name, he, can also, he also carries us close to his heart. And if you'll remember in our lesson this week, there's also in John 5, we read about the paralytic at the Pool of Bethesda. In a little bit of a different way, I read it a little bit differently this week, but it also gave me great hope in, this, in terms of these obstacles as well, because this, this paralytic was, was laying by the, by the edge of the water. He could not get into the water for healing, and no one would help him. And Jesus saw that. There was some significant obstacles, and Jesus asks him um, and asks him some questions. And we see that Jesus saw the need, saw the obstacles, and identified faith in this man, and he overcame that obstacle that was before him. And the man did not even need to enter the water to be healed. And so that's what I want you to hear from this as well, is that God sees your obstacles. He knows your obstacles. And um, I want you to trust his presence in those moments and stay on course, even when we cannot even begin to imagine how that solution will work itself out. And so again, to recap, Jesus knew his destination. He understood the cost of the journey. He continued the work that he was called to do throughout that journey, and he overcame obstacles. And fifth, you can imagine what this might be. He reached his goal. Jesus was undeterred in his purpose and the journey that he was on. We read in Mark 8.31 that he proclaimed that he would suffer, be rejected, but that he would rise again. And again, when we read earlier that the disciples were arguing over who would be the greatest, Jesus proclaimed in this key verse um, that even the Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is a suffering servant king on his way to Jerusalem. And so I want us to think back to number one, what is our destination? What is our purpose? And um, I can answer um, this, the first question, what is our spiritual destination? And I want us to read that here. This is, a, again, another long verse, but this verse is one that for many, many years has brought me great hope and great joy. And it's 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all let this just soak over you. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you. Who by God's power are protected through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is our future, and this is our destination, and it's our hope at the same time. And so Jesus' journey to the cross, there's a lot of passages we could have studied that really, um, to fully understand even more about the Christian life and theology and Old Testament prophecy and fulfillment, um, but I want us to understand at the broader level how sanctification being set apart for God's purpose mimics Jesus' journey to the cross by knowing our destination, by understanding the cost, by examining the route and continuing our work, by overcoming obstacles, and by reaching the goal. And we'll talk more about that goal in a few weeks when we get to Revelation, but this is what I want you to know, is that the journey, the cost, the detours, and the obstacles, it will all be worth it. And it, um, it is our hope, and it's our joy. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you now um, knowing that the Christian journey can seem long. It can seem complicated. Sometimes it seems easy and a joy. But Lord, we know there are mountains and valleys throughout. And so, Lord, I pray that even as this feels like an oversimplification of your journey to the cross, that we know that you did know where you were headed and you counted the cost and you have called us to walk alongside you in that journey to call you Lord and Savior, and that through that we will attain our final, um, just our final home, um, eternity with you. And so, Lord, I pray even as we enter into the lesson for this next week and understanding your death on the cross and how you fulfill all things through that, Lord, that we would be reminded of the truth and the gravity and the weightiness of our faith, but how it changes our lives and how it changes others. Lord, give us hope and give us purpose. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.